Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Nittany Lions Sports Report live on Bob Long Sports. Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse, and indeed, it is smashed potatoes after the first week of college football. The Nittany Lions in absolutely dominating fashion, not to be unexpected, but a lot of good things to take away from a 79-7 win over Idaho. And Tyler, the first thing I want to talk about is the play of Sean Clifford, a guy that we didn't know what we were going to see necessarily coming into the year. Certainly uh, uh, with the transfer of Tommy Stevens, one of the biggest question marks, if not the biggest question mark of the team. I think he did overall a pretty good job. There were a few passes, I think, dropping the ball in the bucket on long throws. He threw from his back foot at times when he was throwing the ball down the field. Room for improvement, but generally speaking, looks to have some chemistry, looks to have some trust, and I think overall did a pretty good job for the team this weekend. Yeah, I would agree with you on um, overall and and as well with Sean Clifford. I think that Penn State – they did what they had to do. A lot of people look at it 79-7. Oh, they ran it up. Um, they didn't have to score 79. Well, to be honest with you, they were scoring their last points in the fourth quarter with walk-ons across the board, and I think it's a good thing to get your walk-ons involved in a game like that. Guys that give it their all, aren't on scholarship. You know, I think that's a good thing. And also, the way last season went and started against Appalachian State, they really set the tone, and they surprised a lot of people, not by beating Idaho 79-7, but by the way they beat Idaho and how they looked and how the young guys looked, how the skilled position looked, and really how that defensive line looked, who's going to be a terror all season um, for any foe that they have to play. But, yeah, in terms of Clifford, he started the game a little slow. He um, he airmailed some passes, but he settled in nicely. I mean, he finished the day uh, 14 of 23 for 280, two touchdowns. Um, zero interceptions, found different targets. Um, you know, he's throwing the running backs, tight ends, receivers. Everybody got involved. So really good display, great first game, and um, it's something they got to build on and keep going from there. Big show coming up here tonight, guys. We're going to have Chris Perangeli, the head soccer coach and track and field coach for CB East, on for our weekly guest picker segment. He's a Penn State graduate, knows the team quite well, and is a former co-host here at Bob Long Sports. So we have royalty coming into the studio, and we're excited to have Chris. And a lot more to get to. We're going to talk about our Blitz segment. It's going to specifically focus on the offensive line, more questions than answers, and why that's actually a good thing, and where there is going to be some flexibility, versatility, and the ability to put an athletic Five guys on the line at one time. Uh, excited to get to that segment here this evening. But, Tyler, want to talk also about the stable of running backs that Penn State has. And we saw two freshmen get the balance of the carries, Devin Ford and Noah Kane. And Devin Ford had the big 81-yard run. Justin Shorter running down the field. Everybody wants to talk about that, and for good reason put that extra effort into the play, and then knew not to block in the back. But really, let's talk about these backs. Ricky Slade didn't really have a full complement of carries because the game got out of hand. But what you see is, and the word is stable, I mean a stable of running backs that we'll see certainly uh, more difficult competition as the year goes on. But a lot of good things with each of those guys, and I want to break that down. Yeah, I mean – you know, the the last couple of years, Penn State has had Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders. But really, when they were both here, when Saquon Barkley was running back, it was pretty much all Saquon Barkley. Last year with Miles Sanders, it was pretty much all Miles Sanders with a little bit of Ricky Slade here and there, not much. This year, you're going to see all four guys run. 
They all bring a different style. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Slade, the starter, five carries, nine yards. Now, also had um, a couple of receptions um, as well to go with. One one reception for a big gain of 26. But each each of these running backs brings something different. You saw Ford with the 81-yard touchdown run. Um, Kane is more of a powerful inside the tackles, run you over type of back. Um, Kane and Ford both true freshmen. And, and the other two, Brown and Slater, only sophomores. Brown being a redshirt sophomore. I mean, so you have four guys that you can give the ball to, and it's almost like they're going to go with the hot hand a lot of times, and whoever whoever is um, you know the most fresh, and and that is that is an unbelievable thing to be able to throw four backs out there, and and be able to score and make plays with any of them, and with some versatility, Journey Brown being able to catch the football, Ricky Slade, they're trying to work that more into his game this year. Room for improvement, I think, on both of those guys' sides, but man. Can you line up multiple guys right. on the field at one time? Uh, yeah, and, and the thing is, is the last couple of years with Barkley and Sanders, you've seen a 1,000-yard runners and more. I don't know if you're going to see that this year from Penn State because of the amount of backs that they have and the carries being split. But outside of a statistic thing, this is a good thing for Penn State running backs as well as recruiting. You already see recruiting. They have two coming in next year from the state of Florida. Oh, yeah. Keziah Holmes, Kevon Lee, both top four-star Highly ranked players coming in from Florida. Not to mention, all four of these backs should be back. I mean, none of them Bingo. can go to the pros, except Brown would be eligible, but he wouldn't be ready, in my opinion. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen transfer-wise, that kind of thing. I don't want to speculate, obviously, because I don't see it going down that route. But th that's going to put you with six elite backs. And it's a great the good, point. And the good thing that you're seeing is it's a great problem to have, one, because injuries happen, you know, hot hand, and it, it's competition. Everyone's going to get better from it. But also, these guys are seeing, hey, look, it's not just one guy getting the ball. They're going to get me the ball. You know, and that's what running backs want. And then at the same time, if you're good enough to go to the NFL, well, look at Miles Sanders. He went in the second round really after one year of really playing and starting at Penn State. Yep. And he doesn't have that many, um, you know, he doesn't have that many hits because he didn't get the ball too much in college. So he's fresh going to the NFL. And I think that's something that's going to Penn State's advantage right now. Yeah, I mean, and with that one in particular, right, Miles Sanders came into Penn State as the number one running back recruit in the country. So he had that pedigree coming in. And I think NFL teams certainly liked the measurables that they had in Miles Sanders and his performance. So I think when you look at Penn State becoming, man, I, I don't know that I love the you uh, comparison, yeah, yeah. linebacker you, which obviously is a staple of Penn State, uh, quarterback you, running back you. Is Penn State running back you? I don't know. But what they are doing is putting out a really good crop of running backs year after year, now two straight that have had success in the NFL. And now on their roster currently, four guys that look to have green lights and be part of the offense all season long. Now another guy I want to talk about, Tyler, is Justin Shorter. Uh, a guy that we talked about as recently as last week saying, hey, just not a ton of buzz about him in the offseason, but he seems ready to go and up top the depth chart. I thought he had a very nice game. And what we saw was an offense that was somewhat vanilla. Uh, I thought some of the routes that were run, some of the packages that were designed, and for very good reason, were kept pretty, pretty simplistic in nature. No reason to give away everything at this point in the year. But Tyler... Justin Shorter did a good job in some pretty simple routes, getting open, making the catch, maybe making a guy miss, or at least getting forward for a few more yards. Of course, running down the field along with Devin Ford throughout that uh, that long 81-yard touchdown run. I thought between he and K.J. Hamler, 
Daniel George had a couple decent catches. You also have a lot of depth at that wide receiver position. Uh, I don't know that I'm prepared to say this was uh, Shorter's time to kind of break out and shed everything from last year, but I do think he's on a good trajectory. K.J. Hamler as advertised, and that wide receiver room as a whole, pretty deep and as advertised. Yeah, it's a very good um, receiving room. Uh, you know, a lot of guys came back, younger guys from last year. They're another year in the system. We just talked about the running back splitting carriers. I mean, you look down the list here, K.J. Hamler led the team with, with four catches, 115 yards, two touchdowns. Shorter, three for 36. And everybody else um, outside of Weston Carr and, and Devin Ford, a running back, had less than less than three catches. So the ball's being spread around. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because – it was only one game, and you're not going to show a lot, like you mentioned. But, you know, the offense puts up 79 points, and Jahan Dotson has one catch for 13 yards. So, Fryermuth had one for 25. So, I mean, there's just – it's it's going to be so interesting to see how the ball is spread around with this team. I mean, Clifford looks like the line is getting better again, Idaho. But um, we'll talk about that a little later on the Blitz. But um, – there's there's no shortage of talent on this roster in the receiving room who who we who I went into last year thinking it was a strength of the team last year I was quickly fooled um, I thought that um, you know Tompkins and Johnson were going to be ready to go and you know as upperclassmen and and I was fooled a lot of people were um, and and it's time for these younger guys like Shorter to step up and I believe he does have all the tools he's six foot five two hundred thirty five pounds and he can run like a he runs like a four 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 five so. All the tools are there. It's just a matter of this group putting it together, and so far, so good. Well, the other thing that needs to be said about the wide receivers this year versus last year, uh, we are one game in. All those things you were talking about, the measurables and the speed and the size and the strength, not much of that has changed, Tyler, but they're catching the ball. And it's through one game, but I need to see consistent catching of the football. I mean, it sounds very simple. We can't continue to see the big drops that we saw last year. How much of that was David Corley and not being able to get the best out of the wide receivers? Jared Parker, by all accounts, is developing a good connection with those wide receivers. Connections does not catch the football for these guys, but it seems like he has the experience. He's putting them through drills that Corley was not last year. There's more of an emphasis on catching the football, as simple as that may sound. And I want to see what happens over the next 11 games of the regular season. Is Parker the guy that can put this class over the top from a wide receiver perspective? And maybe even more so than that, what does another year of experience do? Right? As well as Juwan Johnson no longer being with the program, Brandon Polk no longer being with the program. Those guys were part of that problem. I'm very encouraged by what I saw, but I don't want to declare the issues over. Sure. I want to see it in the early parts of Big Ten play. Yeah, and, and, and you know, um, it was only one game, as we stated, and we all knew that Idaho is not the strongest opponent Penn State's going to play this year. Uh, but it was an amazing, um, I would call it, I don't want to say transformation, but for lack of a better term, I'll use that. From what we saw last year, even with the little things, like you mentioned, with Shorter running down and blocking, uh, getting in the way of a defender close to Ford on a long touchdown run, I mean, they just seem to have um, more confidence, um, you know, no drops that we saw and and just physical talented receivers and and I think the coaching does have a lot to do with that and and I think that they're going to be much much improved this year um from last year I mean and, and really the only way to go is up from last year's receiving court well it's it's a brilliant segue because when we talk about coordinators being replaced in a unit that struggled last year 
we can talk about special teams as well. And it's not just a coordinator issue, but Jordan Stout came in and was absolutely dynamite. 13 for 13 on touchbacks. One of them actually didn't reach the end zone. It was fair caught at about the three-yard line. But a good balance of those 13 went even beyond the back line of the end zone, almost into the student section. He is clearly a shining star of the transfer market and what made its way to Penn State this year. Jordan Stout was and is an absolute stud, not to mention kicking a 53-yard field goal, longest since 2015 for this program. With room. With room to spare. And so I tell you what, between that, Jake Pinnegar looks very comfortable, of course, on the extra points. But while leg strength isn't necessarily an issue for him and being able to kick the ball a certain distance, he has had trouble with field goals past 40 yards. Perhaps there is some sort of platoon here, or perhaps we're looking at the job uh, being very much in the in the balance. It's and a, it's not something Franklin's going to talk about right. during press conferences. We're going to have to watch this on Saturday. Good problem to have. Whoever's going to get us three points, that's it, right? Because those three points are going to become very valuable once yep. Big Ten play rolls around. And i got to ask you something because obviously now with, with touchbacks, it comes out to the 25-yard line. Um, if they fair catch it, they get it at the 25-yard line as well um, on, on a kickoff. I do like the fact that everything – it's a touchback, I think. And I say that because if you watch how fast, and it's harder to see on TV, but at the game, how fast Penn State's special teams get down there. I mean, no lie, when that ball's landing in the end zone, they're they're pretty much at the 10-yard line, 15, 10-yard line going into the end zone. So, yes, the touchbacks are great with the opponent getting the ball at the 25, but once in a while it would be very nice to have them back even farther, the opponent. But at the same time, you're eliminating the chance of a big return which I think is, you know, does a lot more damage than how am I trying to say this and having a return go to the fifteen yard right. line. What it, it, it's more damaging than what rewarding. Is the it's more point. damaging than rewarding, I would say. Yeah, what what yeah. is from an expect to get into the analytics, what is yeah, the expected right. <laughs> point differential from every drive starting at the twenty five yard line versus you know, half at the 15, another half, another three quarters at the 25, and then a two well, going to the right. house. And, another and, and I mean, when you're giving the other team the ball at the 25, I mean, not that that's good field position, but when you're rolling out that defense, they're not going to be easy to move the ball on all year. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, in my opinion, the advantage with, with Stout kicking off. I think my official position on that, and I get it, and I could see it's something – I think you pound it through yeah. the end zone every time and tell your defense, okay, get comfortable starting at the 25-yard line. That's what we're going to do after school. Well, yeah, because at that point, even if you kick it, it it's, they're catching at the 5, they can fair catch it anyway and just right. take it to the 25. Yep. So, yeah. uh, but it is a good problem to have. It may be something they explore, and it's not something I'm opposed to. I, I wouldn't think there's a strong a strong uh, feeling on either side or reason for argument, but – my thought is just pound it through the end zone, yep. start at the 25, keep doing it. make them drive the ball 50 yards for a realistic field goal attempt or 45 yards, whatever that may be, and make them drive at 75 for a touchdown. Uh, but it is an interesting point because Penn State has much more athletic special teams right. guys running down the field than they have but in if, years past. But if you past. remember last year, a lot of kicks were going out of bounds and stuff, and I think that brings the ball out to the 35 and, I mean, that's a huge difference, that 10 sure. yards there. So, I mean, it, it's definitely – we talked about the special, the um, offense 
receivers improvement. I mean, special teams improvement from what we saw from game one was like night and day as well. Absolutely right. And so the only thing to mention on the offensive side besides all of that, and we'll talk about the offensive line on the blitz, but Pat Firemuth getting a little banged up. Um, I believe he's going to be okay, but we really, of course, uh, James Franklin's never going to really let on. Uh, but Fryermuth came out in the second quarter, did not return, left on his own power, looked like he got a, a pretty good shot as he went up to, to catch a ball that was going over his head. Shot to the head, was it? Was it to the head or the shoulder? I thought it was the shoulder, but I okay. don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play this week because it's Buffalo. Um, pretty big line. Yeah, we'll get, and we'll get into that for sure. But it's the kind of thing, it's like, You'd rather save them for, you know, Big Ten play. I mean, even Pitt, but Big Big Ten play. And I think that's kind of what you saw with Ricky Slade, too. Um, just kind of keep them fresh. I mean, if there's no reason to really run them and get them banged up, give other guys the opportunity. And I think it's a good time to rest people, if, if you can, if they're a little banged up. Yeah, I think you're right. Again, Nittany Lions Sports Report here. We are live from Bluebell, Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse. Excited to be alongside We'll have the blitz coming up shortly, talking about the offensive line, the versatility there, and some of the decisions that Penn State's going to have to make between Will Fries, Des Holmes, Rashid Walker, as well as some of the interior guys. And I think it'll be an interesting discussion up on the whiteboard. Also, Chris Perangeli, former Bob Long Sports host and the current coach of CB East Soccer here in Philadelphia and their track and field team, joins us in studio to make his picks, Tyler, we had quite an impressive first guest, Tyler Kern of the LaSalle College High School broadcasting team for football on Bob Long Sports as well. He went 5-1 and one last week in six games, five pickums, and then Penn State against the spread. Obviously, Penn State covered the, uh, I think it was like 38.5 spread, 39.5. Uh, yeah, that was very, very impressive showing. Um, he went, f Tyler Kern went 5-1. Five, five and one. Um, I believe I can't. What was the one game that he got wrong? I believe BC, BC, who I was going to go with to beat Virginia Tech, and I guess I listened to you guys pick, and I thought you guys were smart, which he's very smart. You're, you're pretty <laughs> smart too. You both beat me, so I was three three. But uh, yeah, so five and one, great start, and he might be up for an award, uh, a prize at the end of the year. We'll have to see how everybody, how everybody else does. But we got some interesting games this week that we'll get to later with Chris. The gauntlet has been laid for the rest of our guests over the course of the year. So uh, we'll enjoy that, and I think all of you will as well. We're going to tell a little bit of Chris's story and all of our guests' story and then get some fun picks to close down the show. But lots to talk about on the defensive side of the football as well. Not that it particularly matters because it is Buffalo, but – Good to see Brandon Smith, the right call there at the end. No targeting so that he wouldn't be suspended for the first half of the Buffalo game. Uh, I will, I do that was a major hit. That I was unbelievable. That was, that was impressive. Yes, it was. Let's talk, though, about those linebackers. I mean, we knew coming into this year that it was going to be a special group, and I think it certainly is. You know, Cam Brown sitting out the first half due to the suspension after the targeting against Kentucky. Jan Johnson hawking down in the middle. And then Jesse Lucada uh, getting the start at the will with Micah playing strong with Cam Brown's absence. Uh, Micah Parsons moving over to the will with uh, 
with the Sam going to be Cam Brown. Uh, you know, strong side linebacker Cam Brown. Where on the side of the the line where the tight end is uh, to be able to rush the pass that like is that. the strong side, right? Yes, because that's something I actually I had a request for this um, from one of our listeners because it, so. it is a little confusing. I actually am not too familiar. I know what it stands for, Sam. They call it Sam, and that's a strong side, yep. right? That's where yeah, you're gonna, when you're overloaded to one side, whether that's uh, if you have a two tight end set, it's where you have your X receiver with likely a slot back okay. or something like that on that side of the field. M- Mike is middle. Mike is middle. And Will is weak side. That's right. So what is what is the strength like? Micah Parsons is a weak side linebacker, but he played the strong side, the Sam position. So like, what is the difference? How could it be an advantage? Like, how do you know? I guess what I'm saying is. Who who suited better to play the Sam versus Will? Like the major difference. Well, think of it this way, right? Uh, Sam, strong side linebacker, tight end in front of you. So you need to either be able to drop back in coverage if you're playing man to man, and let's say you're in a, let's say you're in a base four three package, right? And you have a safety that you want to keep over the top, three wide receivers and a tight end. Based upon the amount of defensive backs on the field there, you're going to need that linebacker to pick up that tight end in coverage. That's most likely going to be your strong side or Sam linebacker. So you're, you're going to have, and I'm not saying that obviously Micah Parsons isn't athletic because he's a freak, but Cam Brown, I guess, is maybe more better in um, pass coverage. I mean, is that where I, you get I, the I would strong, say like, the combination of that, yeah, and the ability to, you know, I think if Sam is a guy that's going to kind of plug that gap and, and be in there on rud coverage, right? A, a tight end can do one of two things. can go out in passing. Mm-hmm. It can run block. The weak side, I think of as your stronger rusher of the passer. Because there's no tight end for the extra blocker if he stays yep. in the block. You, you can run can a little freel- stunt. freelance a little bit more and do yep. – okay, all right. You can drop back into a zone, of course, sure. in that look as well, and that's a strength of Micah Parsons. And so I do believe – he fits well, I, the will a lot better than he does Sam. I think he fits both great, and I think he can play the middle linebacker, and I think at some point before he's done here at Penn State, he's going to play the middle linebacker because mm-hmm. you're going to have Brandon Smith on one side and Lance Dixon on the other, uh, as long as that happens by next year because I think it's three and done for Micah Parsons. But I think he can play anywhere. I think he's your most talented linebacker in general, and so that's why they put him lined up on the strong side. But I think he has some serious – some serious advantages and some serious athletic traits that make him also quite dangerous on the weak side. Gotcha. And now so. that we're, since we're talking about the linebackers, what's your opinion on Jan Johnson in, in the middle? Um, I know a lot of people are kind of like, oh, he's a former walk-on and he was a wrestler, but he seems to just always be in the right spot. Yep. He's fundamental. He's sound. Um, but a lot of people, including myself, would really like to see Ellis Brooks out there in the middle. Um, he did really good things last year when he got on the field number 13. Um, you know, a higher-rated recruit. And a lot of people look at that. They're like, why is a, a former walk-on in the starting yep. linebacker when you have a highly-rated recruit? Um, he's only a redshirt sophomore right, right now, where, whereas um, Johnson's a senior. But w- I just want to get your opinion on the middle linebacker since we talked sure. about the two other positions and, and Jan Johnson and, and behind him with a um, Ellis Brooks. Let me start this by saying i I big fan of Ellis Brooks. And... Uh, I guess me saying that Micah Parsons will be a middle linebacker on this team at some point uh, may take away from a guy like Ellis Brooks has played in playing time because Ellis Brooks is not he's not a Sam and he's not a Will. Uh, he, uh, when I think of a middle linebacker, more often than not, 
your safety or your middle linebacker going to be your signal caller, your play caller on the defensive side, the quarterback of the defense. And that's because he needs to be in the middle of everything. He great can, tacklers, too. Great tacklers, right, because the ball, anything coming through the A or B gap is most likely going to be in the area of that middle linebacker in terms of run protection. He can also blitz right up the middle. He also, from a zone perspective, I think is the most important linebacker because when you're in a zone package, the weakest part of the middle of the field is the middle of the field, is that seam. Because you're going to have guys chuck uh, your defensive backs chucking wide receivers at the line and then sitting in a zone. And unless you're playing nickel or dime, uh, more likely those defensive backs are going to be a little bit more concentrated on the hash marks and outside and your safeties are going to be covering over the top. So you need to have a middle linebacker if you're in that 4-3 coverage and have three linebackers on the field versus a nickel package where you're only going to have two. It's that middle linebacker that is going to have to take up the middle of the field. And that's not as much about athleticism as it is about knowledge of the game because there is so much space there. It's about reading the quarterback's eyes. And you know, from a quickness perspective, it helps, but it's more important right place, right time, understanding the seam in the middle of that field. So uh, from a Jan Johnson perspective, I'm a big fan. I've been impressed with his tackling. I've been impressed with his ability to um, to be in the middle of the field and kind of make a cohesive defensive unit. And, yeah, he's not as highly regarded as these other guys, but there, I think there's a reason he's out there because right. you're seeing a ton of freshmen get playing time over upperclassmen. He's not playing because he's a senior. Yeah. What, yeah, Jan Johnson is earning that time. I think he's right. done a great job. Governor yeah, I, Mifflin boy from yeah, Mountain Yeah, there you Redding. go. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's it's just an interesting thing because you look at all these highly recruited highly recruited linebackers across the board on the depth chart right now and he's literally the only one that probably had he probably didn't have any stars coming out of high school I mean he was a walk-on that went there to wrestle and it's it's a great story um and he's playing great football too so because yeah, we um, expected him last year to yeah, lose that it's, job it's always been kind of expected okay when's Jan Johnson gonna and he just doesn't lose a job and and he's a hard worker he knows what he's doing in the middle, and he's he's almost like that security blanket for the defense. He's like the like the quarterback. He said it earlier, signal caller. He's experienced. Um, they obviously trust him. So um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yep. And let's be real, and I'm not necessarily comparing him to this guy in terms of his Penn State career. The guy that came before him in that Mike spot, Jason Kambidna, was not the most athletic linebacker on the field, but he was the smartest he understood where the ball was going before it went there, which allowed him to be in the proper position. He wouldn't have been the best strong side linebacker in the world, but Jason Cabinda ran that defense out of the mic position. And I think Jan Johnson, while not as no, uh, doesn't quite have the notoriety that uh, Jason Cabinda did, is playing a very similar role on this team amongst a group of more athletic right. defensemen than Cabinda sure. was playing with. That is with. a good comparison. So, yeah. That's a good discussion. I'm glad we got into that. Again, that was uh, one of our loyal listeners, Kevin McClernand, who brought that up to us. Great he said, question. hey, you know, we, we, you talk about Sam and Will, and uh, there may be most a group of fans that want to go deeper on that. And most people don't know what it is, so that's, that's good that we talked about and that. And even if you do, it just makes for compelling I mean, discussion, I, learned, I think. I learned a lot about it tonight from you, so you good go. job, Bob. Hey, I appreciate that's like, that. That's almost like your Blitz segment. There yeah. it is. Yeah, we can skip right this over and get Chris tonight. in here <laughs> earlier. Uh, so do you want to talk about uh, the the safeties? The only thing of note is uh, the absence of Brisker. Yeah, I mean, but I don't know how much we really saw from from Ida. I mean, 
they had, I think, like five first downs a whole game or something yeah. ridiculous. Right, right. I mean, they they, they couldn't do anything. Um, yeah, Brisker didn't – he was pretty absent. I mean, he got in. But, um, you know, I think that's good that we didn't really hear much about defensive backs. I mean, obviously, the first play of the game, Garrett Taylor almost got ejected. Mm-hmm. Was ruled targeting. They overturned it. Uh, probably the right call. And and that was good. In um, the stadium, I got to tell you. I thought it was clean. And I was in the stadium, too. <laughs> okay. I, I thought – I thought it was clean. Um, I didn't – obviously, the Smith one, um, I, I didn't see live. But I, I felt him. differently, but I, may, I, I totally grant that I may not have had the right angle on that mm-hmm. one. I'm not willing to die on that hill. So, uh, okay. yeah, I, I actually didn't see a replay. In the stadium, it looks a little – oh, boy. Yeah, kind of like first play, like that would have been such a bad start for him. Like first play, you're juiced up, ready to go. Um, and then he would have to sit out the whole game. But would have been ready for the next game, but you know, nobody wants to miss a game in college. Yeah. So, uh, but it, usually when you're secondary, especially safeties, when you're not hearing about them, this is something I heard on ninety four one or ninety seven five one of the two the other the other day talking about the Eagles safeties. When you're not hearing about them, is usually when they're playing their best ball. Yep. Um, almost, almost like a kicker, like you know, when you hear about the kicker, uh oh, here he comes, like you know. But when your safeties are playing well, you usually don't hear much about them because they're. And that's a good thing, and, and we didn't hear much about them. And hopefully with Wade and, and um, Taylor, Sutherland, and Brisker, those four moving forward, hopefully they stay steady back there. It's a good group. It's a deep group. Last group to talk about, well, I guess two groups, defensive backs. I don't really have a ton to say. They're I don't have much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because the front seven when, was so impressive. And when the front seven, especially the front four, are doing that, it's going to make these D-backs look even better than what they are, no which is awesome. I mean, you saw Reed had the interception. Almost took it back to the house. Um, they're just going to put so much pressure on these quarterbacks that they're constantly the quarterback's constantly going to be thinking, "Uh oh, is is Gross Matos coming from behind? Is Tony coming from behind? Is Owe coming? Like, where's Parsons?" So they're going to have to worry about all this stuff. Not to mention, you still got to throw against great corners and and really solid safeties. So it's right. like it's a very good defense that if that pass rush keeps up. People are going to have a really difficult time throwing the ball, and quarterbacks aren't going to be comfortable, and that is a good thing for Penn State. Yep, P.J. Mustafer tied for the team lead in tackles, I believe, uh, coming out of technically a backup role. None of that really matters. It we look really at doesn't counts. because they rotate so much. And, and Shelton played well, like too, that. Yes, who, who started there. And it, you're right, def- starting, I mean, even like linebackers, and say, like, the defense is going to rotate a lot. Well, it's funny you say that. I was – more coming from the perspective of playing Idaho, but do you think we're going to see I, that much I rotation? I do. I mean, I really do because, um, especially on the line, I think you're going to find guys with a niche, like an OA is probably going to be used more as a third, third down. down. Kind of shock at Tony's freshman sure. role. Sure, yeah. um, absolutely. Um, I think you are in the sense of you want to keep guys fresh. I think you'll see the majority of the rotating coming from the D-line. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that is like the grind never stops on the lines. Um and I think you'll see it a little bit here and there at linebacker, probably not as much. And I know you're probably going to see it at uh, at at the cornerback positions and and even safety because at cornerback, Keaton Ellis, a freshman from State College High School, yep. they're raving about him. He's a long cornerback, um, and he he's already making moves on the depth chart. So I think you're going to, and especially because Reed is a senior and Castro Fields is a junior, who a lot of people are saying could potentially leave early for the pros. Mm-hmm. You want to get guys' experience behind them. 
Trent Gordon, Donovan Johnson, who d- didn't play due to suspension last week, uh, Keaton Ellis, guys like that, Joey Porter Jr., who saw the field a good amount. You want to get these guys reps, meaningful reps too, and then your backup safety, Sutherland and Brisker, could arguably be starters on the team. So you're you're gonna see you're gonna see a good amount of rotation. I would say probably linebacker, maybe the least. Although they're gonna want to get those young guys in there, Smith, Dixon, um, Luketta. So it's gonna be very interesting. But but first and foremost, the D line is gonna it's gonna be a cycle because the fresher you keep those guys and you can go deep there, it's it's gonna be a real problem for opposing teams. A great start to the Nittany Lions sports report here tonight. Very much like the Nittany Lions season. We're going to come back on the other side. It's our blitz segment, the whiteboard, where we go up there, and we're going to talk tonight about a really interesting part of the equation for the Nittany Lions, and that's the offensive line. We talked about rotation on the defensive line. Boy, the offensive line, you like continuity, but a lot of decisions being made in that locker room right now and by this coaching staff about who the line's going to be like going forward. I think we're far from a finished product, but it does have a chance to be a good line. And we'll talk a lot about that on the other side and how that's going to match with the offense that Ricky Ronnie's looking to run. We'll be right back. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Nittany Lions Sports Report. And now it's time for the Blitz, which we do every week, breaking down one concept of either the offense or defense and what's important. Today, we're going to talk about the offensive line. And we're going to use each of these markers center here in the middle, uh, left guard and left tackle, right guard, right tackle, and then the quarterback. So I want to start talking about the tackles because I thought we had clarity going into the season. I thought that Rasheed Walker was going to be playing over here at the left tackle position. And I thought that Will Fries was going to be playing over here at the right tackle position. I knew that Des Holmes was playing very well in camp and that coaches had uh, a lot of good things to say about him. But I thought that we were going to have Will Fries on the right side and Rasheed Walker on the left, specifically because Walker was out playing Holmes and Walker had an affinity for the left side versus the right side. So essentially, Will Fries was getting the right side over Des Holmes in part because Rasheed Walker was much more comfortable on the left. But what we ended up seeing was the balance of snaps on the left-hand side of the line was actually from Des Holmes. And then we saw Rasheed Walker move over to the right-hand side, and Will Fries didn't get as many snaps as we thought. A locked-in starter, or so we thought, a guy who's played in some capacity since his freshman year, and now redshirt freshman year, now he's a redshirt junior, perhaps sent to the bench for a redshirt freshman in Rasheed Walker. So how does this affect Penn State's line? Well, if you guys remember one of our blitz segments last year, we were talking about the right tackle position and Will Fries versus Chaz Wright. Chaz Wright being a more athletic big guy that could get down the field and throw blocks when you're running more of that RPO style that they like to run under Ricky Ronnie. But in pure pass protection, it was Will Fries that was the more attractive option at right tackle. Now, for a myriad of reasons, it ended up being Will Fries winning that job. Uh, The difference in run blocking versus pass blocking wasn't exactly uh, the same. Will Fries was a much better pass blocker. Chaz Wright really struggled. But now, Des Holmes is a guy on the left-hand side 
that is very athletic and can get downfield as well as any big guy you're going to see. And Rasheed Walker has many of those same traits. Rasheed Walker in one of the uh, big runs throughout the game, playing left tackle, they left this defensive end with a direct run into the backfield, which you like to do in an RPO situation because then you're going to make this defensive end read the quarterback's eyes. The quarterback is going to read the defensive end's eyes and make a determination. Am I going to keep this football or am I going to hand it off to the running back? And that is generally the point of the RPO. It's putting one defender in a position to make a decision between two guys, quarterback, running back, and then allowing the rest of that offensive line to block at the second level. So Rasheed Walker made a brilliant play, allowing the defense, the defensive end from Idaho to make this decision. Clifford made the right call to hand off to the running back, and the running back followed Rasheed Walker as this defensive end made a decision to go after Clifford, who no longer had the football. So Rasheed Walker, in addition to being what I've seen in limited action as a very solid pass blocker, is very effective as well when it comes to the RPO. Now, why is he comfortable on the right? That's a question I don't have the answer to, but Des Holmes has a lot of the same characteristics that Rasheed Walker does, and he's been tremendous in terms of pass blocking. Now Rasheed Walker, if he's going to be comfortable on the right-hand side, I think you have a dynamic duo, and unfortunately for Will Fries, it could spell the end of extended playing time for him, and he could be relegated to a backup spot. So something to keep in mind as the season moves forward. Now let's talk about the interior defensive linemen. Steven Gonzalez, C.J. Thorpe, guys that were penciled in as starters. Mike Miranda, a guy we've heard about for a long time, big name recruit when he came in, now an opportunity to play on this offensive line. He was listed as an oar for both the right and left guard position and as the backup center. And we saw him get snaps at each of those positions, but he actually outsnapped Steven Gonzalez and outsnapped C.J. Thorpe. So I think what we're going to see here is Miranda being your guy that has the most versatility on this offensive line, and it's whose spot is he going to take? Not that he's 100% locked into getting a starting role, but he has endeared himself to this coaching staff and I think makes himself a very viable playing option going forward because he can play either spot and he's impressed in those opportunities. Michael Mennett, I, I do think, is fairly solid at that center position, but it doesn't hurt to have Mike Miranda um, able and willing to to play at that center spot and take all three in interior linemen positions. So, to use a technical term, a technology term, a disruptor. Des Holmes and Mike Miranda, your disruptors on the Penn State offensive line, and for very good reason. Very interested to see how that plays out over the rest of the year and something I think you guys should watch as uh, they take on Buffalo and the games thereafter. So that's the Blitz. We'll come back. We'll have a quick discussion on the Blitz and get Tyler's thoughts there. And then it's time to bring on our guest picker, Chris Perangeli, who is live in studio, is preparing his picks, and is prepared to delight and amaze. So thanks for being with us, and we'll be right back. And welcome back, everybody, inside the Bluebell Studios here for Bob Long Sports. This is the Nittany Lions Sports Report 
Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse, and look who we have. We have Chris Perangeli, our guest picker for the evening of Central Busks East, the uh, soccer coach and the track and field coach over there, and a Penn State graduate, and a longtime host of Bob Long Sports. So it's so great to have you on, Chris. Happy to be here. Yes, yes. Well, appreciate your time and making your way out here this evening. Uh, Tyler, want to get your thoughts before we move on to our picks about the Blitz segment that you just heard. I think that, first and foremost, another great job on the Blitz, Bob. Um, Well-prepared, well-thought-out, and very accurate. Um, I think that um, Des Holmes is definitely pushing for one of the tackle positions, and it would probably be Fry's. Um, and then I think it is interesting that Walker then bumps over to the right. I'm not sure if it's Holmes is better at the left. I mean, I'm assuming that's what it would be, but I'm not totally sure. And then uh, on the interior, I think that Miranda, he just got co-player of the week with K.J. Hamler for Penn State's offense. I mean, he's he's press, he's pushing the right buttons. He's doing the right thing. Um, and he can pretty much play any of those three interior positions. I think you're right that Minette has that middle center spot locked up. No need to to play with that right now but the two card guard positions are interesting because you have Gonzalez who came back for his fifth year um could have had a shot at the pros uh like McGovern and Bates um he, he decided to come back though and and then you have Thorpe who they're very high on for his run blocking uh they love his uh mentality um you know kind of like that that tr- old school lineman that just wants to throw people to the ground uh they love his intensity so it's going to be interesting but again Another good problem to have because it's competition. It's going to bring out the best to everyone. And, and like you said, the five best will play at the end of the day. Yeah, we mentioned it about Jan Johnson. The same will be the case on the offensive line. So, Chris, whether it's that talk, topic or anything in particular about Penn State, the football team, the program this year, general takeaways this year. I was very impressed. And what I think stood out to me, I was impressed with the defensive line. And I know they're experienced, uh, maybe more so than they have been in recent years. But just in general, the pressure they got on the quarterback, their ability to make tackles, to stuff the run, um, it's all relative to an extent. I'm sure you guys touched on it with it being Idaho. But still, when we look at Penn State's first couple weeks, especially post-sanctions and and, uh, James Franklin, they've had struggles and scares. You know, App State who has scared other teams before uh, and upset them. But either way, they've had scares. This was the most dominant win I've seen, and in recent memory anyway. Yeah. And just the feel of that goes a long way for confidence building. And, of course, we'll see again with Buffalo and Pitt, and these next couple games will teach us a little more of whether uh, this is uh, a sign of how good they can be right. uh, or not. But as far as the first game uh, – it took a couple drives with those field goals, and then after that, uh, the offense took off and the defensive line stood out to me. And as far as a dominant win, um, it was very impressive. It's pretty good stuff there from uh, from our man Chris Perangeli. But uh, as much as it sounds like it, that is not Chris Perangeli's job to break down football, though maybe it should be. <laughs> What you do for a living is quite an interesting story and one I wanted to highlight here on the show tonight. You're the head soccer coach of CB East and track and field. So you moved from soccer after cross-country season, then a lot of the runners moved to track and field, and you're coaching that as well. Uh, your, your passion and vocation is that of teaching, and I've known that for a long time, and I think that's awesome. Wanted to get your story in your own words, kind of how you got to where you are, Tell us a little bit about your specific situation now and 
the floor is kind of yours. Well, I appreciate the compliment about the football analysis, but it wouldn't go at nearly as deep as you guys can go, <laughs> breaking down position by position. But um, uh, so funny first is the Penn State connection. Uh, I always thought I was going to be a teacher. There were a couple times, and um, working with Bob Long Sports was a blast and different sports journalism passions there. Um, but then I found that outlet to be more in coaching, which I'll get to in a second. But when I did my student teaching, um, they placed me in Bucks County, and that's about an hour away from Springfield, Delaware County, where I grew up. Um, and it was all new to me, but I just heard a lot of good things. And the amazing part is you do, you do student teaching, and then you're looking for the job. And a lot of times, if the student teaching goes well, you can work in the district. It was actually former Penn State kicker Travis Forney who had a hip replacement surgery scheduled for the month of January. And I actually delayed my graduation to finish uh, the undergrad part up at Penn State and then add a half a semester back to live at home in Philly. So that timing set up the fact that when I went to look for the job post-student teaching, it was Travis Forney's spot that was open. Um, and then that was a month. Um, and I knew take full advantage of it, stayed late hours, worked hard. And then it was a little bit of lucky timing again that another teacher left the district, which was so I started with eighth grade social studies and then I became ninth grade and both were U.S. history courses. Um, finished out the year there. Then my first full year, they allowed me to come back and fight for a contract. That's how it works in the uh, CB district and was in three buildings, which was kind of wild. I would start at the high school at CB East, where I am now full-time, but then I'd hop over, literally walk over to uh, Holocong Middle School, do a couple classes there, and then I'd drive to UNAMI, which actually feeds more in the south, uh, so a little further, literally south of, of east. Um, so it was a busy first two years, but each time along the way, I kept coaching, and I kept loving that. I got to do seventh-grade girls basketball, eighth-grade baseball, um, but I played soccer in high school and ran track, and I knew that those are the spots I felt most at home and knew the most about and also wanted to keep growing and learning. Um, and now, so, like you said, it's exciting. I'm the uh, actually JV for boys and then head coach for track for winter and spring. Um, and it's just, it's exactly what uh, I wanted to do, which is pretty great. So it's my outlet of sports is through the coaching. Uh, we got a big one tomorrow. We... Uh, I geared up with the uh, shirt and hat here, but we uh, take on West. And last year, CB West was the best team in um, our conference in the Suburban One Continental uh, for soccer. Then it was North Penn. West actually ended up going further than them. North Penn's probably the returning powerhouse. And then West, but I got to tell you, the, uh, the things that are working for our varsity program, they're going to give West a run for their money tomorrow, and I can't wait to see what happens. It's mm. going to be fun. That's good stuff. That is good stuff. Yeah, I remember when you were, were doing the eighth grade thing and you were coaching some girls basketball, kind of got your feet wet, and I saw the passion even that day when uh, myself and another friend of ours, Dan Green, uh, snuck into the building and you didn't even see us till till after so the, the game was over. But <laughs> and like, we learned the, uh, the Chris I know. Let's go, girls. Let's did, go. Did they win, Bob? No, we, we fell short, I believe. Okay. There was a lot of I guess pressing going on. Okay. Yeah, I could have right. sworn they won. <laughs> A lot of full court press uh, causes <laughs> some ugly basketball in seventh grade. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. Uh, that's great. So that and is then, awesome. And then track going well, also strong team and kind of. Uh, I know from talking to you off air, 
uh, a way to kind of make an impact from both a, a physical, mental, and then even the school side in terms of helping these kids get reach their goals. And I think that's a really unique thing about track. It well extends beyond the the track, the cylinder. Yeah, I, I saw two athletes today, actually, a runner that came back who's uh, in community college now, but thinking about the Navy still, and that's his path. And then another one that was probably the most talented runner I had, and he'd be the first to admit he dealt with race anxiety and some other things, and he's at Cincinnati now. Um, he's redshirting through cross country, but I literally got a text this afternoon, and you know that's what makes it all the worthwhile, um, those connections you build, and, and that's true of anything, I think any job, but um, that you really care about, and, and, and you guys can appreciate that, guys who share the same passion for, for sports, for, for breaking down things, and for impactful relationships but i heard from a couple today it was pretty cool and and uh bob and i have talked about this i think it's funny a few years ago if you'd asked me which sport would you care more about it probably would have been soccer but and i still care a lot about that i care about both really anything i dive into as far as coaching but um the more i've worked with track and learned and i've been fortunate i was around uh two excellent coaches at east still one of them that's my assistant without him we wouldn't have success and then um, even talking to Bob and some of the other guys Penn State who ran club cross country all the way to uh, guys you ran with in high school like I've learned a great deal and it's become my passion and it's really it goes all the way back to the beginning of my story it's a it's a combination of hard work but there's been a lot of fortunate timing um, and then just try to take advantage of those opportunities has been pretty cool Good stuff. It's a great story. We're happy to have you. And that's part of the reason, big part of the reason, we do uh, this guest picker thing. We're going to have some fun making picks. But we like to tell local human interest stories, a rising young star in the uh, teaching and coaching area. And uh, so that's Chris Perangeli, our guest here tonight. And Tyler has our games for this week. The number to beat is 5-1. and one. Wow, that's tough. Tyler Kern <laughs> last week came out. It's impressive. Here. Yeah, it was, he, he had a very good week. So yeah, Tyler Kern last week's special guest, uh, five and one. Bob went four and two. I went three and three. Um, we'll keep Bob and I will keep a running tally, and we'll um, also um, jot down the picks uh, and the records for our, our guest pickers. So this week uh, we have Chris picking. We have um, five games as always. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, six games as always. The one game is Penn State, and it's based off the spread. It's the only spread game, um, and that will be Penn State, and we'll save that one for last. Um, so we're going to start off a couple good games this week. Um, the big one um, of the week that we are actually going to start off with is number six, LSU at number nine, Texas. And again, this is no spread head-to-head. -head. Yeah, I think uh, LSU is going to win. Um, honestly, not knowing that much about either team, um, I just uh, think – Big game opportunity here. Uh, they're going to go out and execute. I'm just going to go with the higher seed. <laughs> it's a big game for Big O, head coach Ed Orgeron. And I like the LSU Tigers as well, in part because I know for your playoff prediction to come true, I think you're going to pick Texas. Going to be a very difficult game. Home game for LSU. Don't know a ton about them yet. A lot of changes from last year. Texas still not quite sold think the defensive front of LSU and the defense makes the difference and they win a close one in Austin yeah I I kind of locked myself into this Texas <laughs> pick with my my prediction I and I think LSU is a very good team um they were very impressive much like Penn State was on Saturday in terms of okay look like Joe Burrows was slinging the ball around down there for LSU and 
and they were clicking on on all cylinders. They have a new uh, passing game coordinator, uh, Joe Brady, who was actually with Penn State at one point and went to the Saints, and now he's with LSU. Is I'm not sure if he's offensive coordinator as well, but he's definitely involved with the passing game and their passing game. As you know, LSU is usually known for pounding the rock, pounding the rock, throw it here and there, but winning with great running backs, great running game, and, and an ex- excellent defense. Um, games at Texas. I think Texas is going to be juiced up. Uh, it's a night a night game. College game day is going to be there. I think it's going to be a very close game. I have to go with the Longhorns to pull it out. They were my play, one of my playoff picks, so I'm going to have to go with them to pull it out. Um, we are going to jump to our second game. Uh, a very good game last year. In fact, it was Clemson's closest game of the year, beating Texas A&M at Kyle Field by two points. At the time, Kelly Bryant was a starting quarterback, getting most of the most of the reps for the uh, Clemson Tigers. This year, Kellen Mond, Jimbo Fisher go on the road. Number 12, Texas A&M at number one, Clemson. I'm going to go with Dabo's boys. Uh, I've been impressed with what Dabo Sweeney has done with that program, um, and I just think Clemson's going to win. Uh, the Texas uh, A&M program wasn't there uh, one of the guys talking a little smack. He called the upset he already. He did. Right? What that, a lineman. That is bold. That is bold. I mean, hey, time to execute, you know, uh, put up or shut up or and play. But uh, I think Clemson's uh, – they've been an impressive team. I'm not saying anything that's uh, groundbreaking here, but I just think they're going to execute. They're going to win. And I actually think uh, a guy talking like that is going to come back to bite them. Bulletin board material. It's exactly. not needed for Clemson. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I'll answer your question with a question. Okay. Is this game BYOG? Bring your own guts. Bring I, your own guts. I don't know. That might be that kind of weather. Yep. Because that was what that the was Notre, the Notre Dame, Dame, Dame game when it was pouring rain. I mean, if the hurricane, I don't know what the track's looking like, but it could be. I like Clemson. I mean, for them to lose this football game, uh, I'll willingly put that as an L on my season-long record. But if we're taking this straight up, I don't think there's any way you pick against Clemson in this game. Yeah, and this is the kind of thing that if you're looking at the spread, we're probably looking at something different potentially. A&M is improved, um, but Clemson is still, in my opinion, the top team in the country right now. I mean, they 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 killed Georgia Tech, and Trevor Lawrence didn't even really play that well last Thursday. I mean, I and um, I think it's too much to handle for A&M. It's in Death Valley, um, Clemson. Um, we're going to jump to our third game. Uh, we are going to go um, Syracuse. Number They're coming in at 22 right now at Maryland, who just won by 79 points over Howard, I believe. Mm-hmm. So uh, right. an interesting game here, Syracuse at Maryland. I'm going Syracuse. Uh, I've just been impressed with the way that team has improved and played the last couple years and I think surprised some teams. Um, and uh, – Biased or not, I'm not overly impressed with Maryland, even though they have a huge win uh, in their first week uh, against Howard. But um, I think Syracuse executes. I think the campus is focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's September the 27th, a Friday night when Penn State comes into town. That's their Super Bowl. I don't see it this weekend. I think it has a chance to be a very good game. But I do like the program up there at Syracuse. I do think that they're going to compete quite well in the ACC this year. And I think the Orange win a big non-conference game, one that we'll be looking at between two middle pack. I think Syracuse will be higher in the pack in the ACC, Maryland lower. But you always like those September games in between interconference games. 
and I think Syracuse wins this one. Not to jump the next week, but Syracuse hosts Clemson next week. Yeah, so you think uh, they're looking ahead I don't too? Know, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a little, uh, little interesting what happens here. Um, Maryland's actually favorites. Uh, they are two yep. point favorite right now. Um, I think I think Dino Babers is running an incredible program up there at Syracuse. He's really turned things around. They have a really good defense. Um, I, I think that they're going to win on the road. I think it's going to be very close. Um, I think that I don't think Maryland's as good as like you said as a seventy nine nothing win over Howard. Um, but I think that Syracuse they have to be careful not to look ahead to that Clemson game. Um, so I think it's going to be a very close game. I think Syracuse pulls it out in the end. Very close. Probably one of the better games. I, I think it's going to be one of the better matchups of this week in terms of close, exciting games of um, two Power Five conferences. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's a great great game. Great game you picked for us to pick. What time is that game, by the way? Uh, it's right up top. Noon. noon. It is at noon. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did, why is Penn State at 730 against yeah. Buffalo? It, a lot it's of it has to do with the, the TV, network. the television, just like the same reason Kennedy, that Penn LSU State, Michigan game. could be at like a noon kick. Because well, yeah, of Fox. Wow. It, it's bizarre, but it could. It's, it's all based off of television. Um, it is. What do you guys think about that? Real quick, Fox making the decision to make their top game programming, putting their top crew and their top choice of game for the, the week at 12 o'clock noon with Joel Klatt and, and Gus Johnson, trying to kind of stake out that noon spot. It's interesting. I mean, I understand it in a sense that you probably don't want to compete with it's ABC at night, right? The big game or mm -hmm. ESPN, yep. or, right? And SEC on CBS is 3.30 and kind right. of had that locked up for years. So, I mean, they kind of were forced into that corner. Uh, I don't think it's going to bring that many more people up to watch it. I don't yeah, think it's going to make yeah, that much of an impact. <laughs> then they I, talk yeah. about their I mean, I mean like, it, Right. <laughs> right. I mean, everyone on the West Coast, a lot of people are still sleeping. Yeah. Right. I mean, on the, and, and on and the, the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> depending on what you did on Friday yeah. night. But, no, seriously, I mean, the, the Pac-12 actually, I don't know if you guys heard about this, it was talked about that they were going to start 9 a.m. local time kickoffs. Mm. If you haven't looked into it, look into it. It doesn't sound like it's going to happen, but it was a real possibility that they were going to have just, say, UCLA, Oregon, 9 a.m. at Oregon. I mean, it's just silly. Yeah, that is I mean, tough. come on. I don't see any so purpose the team's got to you got to open a stadium at 6, 6 a.m.? Like, yeah. I, it doesn't make sense. What um, I think they're trying to do, again, besides that that time slot, is they're trying to push their pregame show as well. And that's the Matt they Liner. Wanna, they want to compete that Brady against college Quinn, game day. There you go. And then Which, roll right into their big game. It's hard to compete against college game day. I mean, it's just such a staple of the college right. football season. But you're right. If they can have that as their big game. I mean, I just don't – you're not doing the fans – and honestly, you're not doing the players who are the most important in all this any justice. I mean, yep. these guys, for example, if they put Penn State, Michigan at noon, I mean, it's still a whiteout. It's still a huge game, more than likely. Um, but there's just something special about a whiteout at night at Beaver Stadium. Not even for those players, but all of college football. I mean, that is a game people and atmosphere people look forward to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so it, it's you're kind of doing everybody a disservice just for your own pocket. But at the end of the day – Money talks, right? Yeah, Money talks. That's true. Hopefully, we don't have to worry about it, but it is a true Speaking real of money talking, we have a Penn State line to pick coming up soon, huh? But uh, <laughs> Miami, our fourth pick of the uh, fourth pick, Miami at UNC. I like. Oh, Bo sorry. Both teams had oh, both teams had totally <laughs> hey, different out outcomes. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm going UNC. 
I, I got, don't have a good explanation. I got Miami. I think uh, now I do think back to a game when Miami was it was the year they were the number two team in the country and they lost on the road at Pitt in the last week. Uh, not that long season. ago. Yes, that's right. And they had a game at UNC was quite possibly the worst football game I've ever seen in my entire life. And it was just awful. Malik Rozier threw like oh. four interceptions. Oh they fumbled God. a bunch of balls. And, and UNC somehow stayed in that football game with a terrible roster. Yes, they're improved. I like Miami. Uh, I don't know that I like Manny Diaz because of what he did to Temple. But, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I like Miami to win that game. This is an 8 o'clock um, game, by the way, on ACC Network. I like Miami, too. I like Miami because, um, first of all, they had a week off. I think that'll do a lot for him after opening in week zero uh, against Florida and, and Orlando. Uh, they have a week to get ready, refresh after um, you know a disappointing loss, one that they could have easily – easily the game was up for grabs, easily could have won. Um, UNC coming off of a, a really a good comeback against South Carolina to start the, the Mac Brown era on the right foot. Um, but, you know, college football is all about emotions. And a lot of it's timing and when you get a team, and Miami has a bye coming into this – UNC's on a high right now. I, I like Miami. Um, I think it's going to be another one of those. I think it should be a pretty good game. Like competitive-wise, it should be a pretty close game. Um, and then our fifth pick, last pick before Penn State, Stanford, number 20, 23, 1030, little late-night paction at USC <laughs> without starting quarterback JT Daniels yep. out for the season, torn ACL. Yeah, and I think that injury swung this for me because – uh, I thought it's a close matchup going into it. Um, I honestly didn't see much of uh, the Stanford game uh, the other day. I'm sorry, the, you know, this past weekend as I was very focused on the Penn State game, um, even when it was at one point very much in hand. Uh, but I think uh, Stanford ends up winning. I think that injury uh, is too much for USC to overcome, especially uh, right after it happened. I don't know that I'm convinced JT Daniels is the guy going forward after the year he had last year, whether or not he's injured. And on a more funny note, uh, Tyler, Stanford Northwestern is the reason I have a lead on you right now, so no reason yeah, not to I, ride Yeah, I, uh, I look like a Stanford. total idiot after saying, you know, Hunter Johnson was this. He was a really good quarterback, and then he went like three for eight or something yeah. and got yanked. Remember, he was a guy Penn State was looking yeah, at Yeah, I mean, he was at well. Clemson until Trevor Lawrence beat him out. Well, right, yeah. Right, and he yeah. was a highly touted, but uh, I guess maybe – Northwestern has these slow starts, though, like every year. They really do. Yep. And then they turn they it turn, on. They turn it on. They do. They do. They're just a slow start team. So Good just, news. It doesn't affect their ability to win the West. Right. <laughs> Anything's possible in the West. So are you going – did you make your Stanford. Point? Stanford. Okay. Um, you know what? I like that. <laughs> I, I, I like that Stanford pick. Uh, I think that um, the injury to JT Daniels – and I'm not really sure how good USC is anyway. We don't know how good a lot of teams are, but Clay Helton is – constantly on the hot seat um and losing the quarterback's gonna add it could add even more pressure for him to win it's winning's not going to be as easy right now um stanford well coached team behind david shaw i think they go in there um i think it's gonna be a close game uh, like a lot of these games this week but i think at the end of the day i think i think stanford pulls out they're gonna have the better team and uh it's gonna be a close one but cardinal there you go. And then a Penn State game. Last but not least, it looks like the line's climbing a little bit, but we're going to keep it at 28-and-a-half. Um, so four touchdowns, Penn State is favored by 28-and-a-half. Are you taking Penn State with the points, or you think Buffalo covers? I actually think Buffalo covers. Uh, I expect a little bit of 
and this is going to contradict what I said a little bit earlier, so I hope I'm wrong with this pick. Um, but even though Penn State's week one performance was the most dominant I've seen, or at least is in recent memory, just how it felt, how they executed after those first couple drives, I'm trying to, I think, check the fact that it was against Idaho uh, with all due respect for the program that, you know, they just are outmatched in that situation. I think Buffalo, uh, Penn State handles the game, but I think we see a few more mistakes maybe on offense or a few more uh, sputters there. Uh, maybe Buffalo gets a chance to, to move the ball a little bit here and there, and Penn State wins by 21 or 24, but they just miss covering. I like Penn State to cover. I think uh, Tyler's talking about that line starting to move. I'm glad you didn't change that on us, and I think that line's going to continue to climb with a lot of money coming in on Penn State. Uh, I think this is another one where the defensive line is just going to obliterate a much inferior offensive line. I feel like I'm saying the same spiel I did last week. I think the offensive line and the four running backs can run it down Buffalo's throat. And I think under James Franklin, I said this exact same thing last week, under Joe Paterno, we'd never be talking about uh, covering a you know a 40-point spread like it was last week. And I think James Franklin's teams just tend to, when there's that much of an athleticism differential, mm -hmm. and in this era of college football, can and will run up the score. Uh, I just struggle to see Buffalo scoring very much against Penn State. Yeah, I mean, I it's tough. 28, I mean, four touchdowns is a lot. I mean, but Penn State was, what, 38, did we say, for Idaho? And they won Something by like 70. I mean, it's different. So I know, it's, it's a lot different, but um, I think they're going to cover. I don't think they'll cover by much. I think well, 28 and a half is going to cover based off of what we have, but I think it'll probably be about that 32 point uh victory for Penn State I I saw that Buffalo threw the ball maybe 12 times in their last game and I'm not sure if that's because they just like to run the ball and they didn't need to throw it or they literally can't throw it well but I mean it's another game that Penn State's going to totally outmatch Buffalo and I think this team has something to prove and I'm not saying you're going to you're going to prove a lot by beating these kind of teams but a lot has to be said for completely manhandling from start to finish and, and kind of just getting that, um, you know, mentality of it doesn't matter who we play, we're going we're gonna to beat you and we're going to beat you as, as bad as we want to beat you. I like it. I got a quick question on that note, and this is where the high school coach comes out in me. I get a little, I don't know if disappoints the word, but when I see 79-7, at a certain point, it's a bit, I'll just use disappointing. It's tough because in the sportsmanship, side of it it's do you need those last three scores you know once you're yeah. over 60 do we need it but what i just asked you guys real quick uh do you think a big part of that is at the end of the day we're looking for the top four teams does this play a factor or is it more just welcome to college football execute i think that if penn state were to win that game 62 to 7 would probably have been just as nice as winning at 79 to 7 with that being said um they had a walk-on quarterback in for the fourth quarter. They had a walk-on running back in for the fourth quarter. They had, you know, a couple newly scholarship guys. It used to be walk-ons at receiver. Young guys on the line. I mean, it wasn't... <laughs> it wasn't peddled in that. You know they what I did mean? Like, do the right thing. And, and I think Franklin, James Franklin, summed it up pretty well today at his press conference saying, well, you know what, like, we have these guys, these walk-ons and these guys that don't get a chance all the time. When they come in, we, we want them to succeed. And, you know, we're... 
they're not throwing bombs and they're these guys are out there they're probably not going to play much mm-hmm. for the season or their career and they're doing their job and and unfortunately for Idaho and for some people they're scoring but I I actually don't have a problem with it I don't really think it's for the playoff perception because I don't think there's that much difference between winning 62 to 7 and 79 to 7 in week 1 against Idaho at the right. end of the day but I think you know you're you're in a sense giving back to these guys that that busted every day at practice and Arnold scholarship and saying, go have, go have some fun. See if you can score and, you know, and we'll celebrate. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I got nothing else to add. Maybe the way to condense that is just ask the question, what do you do? I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like but is it, absent, is it, absent kneeling the football. Is it worse, Scott? Is it worse, worse to kneel it, sportsmanship right. to just say, we're, we're just, yeah, we're just going to, you know, run the same play. Which I didn't even see the fourth quarter, so I don't even know. I'm assuming they ran it almost every a play. A lot, yeah. But, you know, what, like, like, kind of like just like fall down when like the, the other team's running so they can score type of thing. You know what I mean? Like, that's even worse. Yeah, that's fair. So, like, you know what I mean? Not that that would ever happen, but um, Idaho's Division One football players, too. Now they are FCS, but mm-hmm. – and, and they should, you know, they're going to learn a lot from that and hopefully get better from it. And they also get a nice paycheck. At the yeah, yeah the, the players thing. don't, don't, but the school there goes gets the a money nice at paycheck. the top again. <laughs> but they're funding the, yeah, they're funding the rest of the athletic right. department. Now, funny story there is that that when that game was scheduled, Idaho was an FBS football team, and the athletic department made the decision in 2015 to scale it back to the FCS to save money, issue less scholarships, etc. Penn State and the Corey Geiger wrote this story, so all credit to him. Penn State did not have an out clause in their contract. They were actually scheduled to go, and I want to say it was LSU or, or Clemson, one of the Tigers down there. Idaho also was scheduled to go play them in one of these upcoming years. That school did have an out clause and got out of the game. Now, I think Penn State, Corey describes, could have gone to other measures to try to move the game due to the change in circumstances, but James Franklin and the team honored the contract. So that is kind of how the game came mm-hmm. about. That said, it's not like Penn State isn't scheduling FCS opponents because in 2021 is when Villanova's on the schedule. And Delaware comes on a schedule. Yeah. But but let's not forget Penn State is going to be doing a home-and-home home with West Virginia, Virginia Tech, oh, yeah. Auburn. Yep. So, I mean, it's not like I, – I do think it's important to play this kind of game to open up the season. It's funny mm-hmm. as that sounds – no, what it's important to do is schedule the bye game on the year where you have four regular season Big Ten home games so that you and then schedule your home and home with a West Virginia or something like right, that. Right, 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 right. At right. home on the year you only have the four, four Big Ten home right. games so that you ensure you're going to have seven revenue making home game it's opportunities. All right. I mean, in addition to, you know, easing into the season, exactly. that that's really the reason to 100%. Yep. So, anyway, Good question there, Chris. Good, uh, good great discussion. discussion. Yeah, really. You were on here for a while. That yeah, was great. That's that was right. Good. Now let's see. We'll see how his picks are. We'll see how smart he really is. Right? That's right. Yeah, that's the real question. <laughs> Tyler Kern is just laughing from his ivory tower, uh, upon which his five-one lead currently sits. But he's like that Mac Brown UNC pick. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story and spending some time with us here. Appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Tyler, thank you as always for the time. Thanks to all the viewers and listeners. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud for those of you audio uh, preference folks. But uh, we will be back next week to recap Buffalo Preview Pit, and it'll be a great week of Penn State football. Enjoy it for all the folks that are going up to Beaver Stadium this week. Have fun. Be safe. 
and we'll see you guys next time. Good night.